Good day and good morrow to all my podcasting friends out there in podcasting land in the podcast world. Uh, how many times can I say podcast? Uh, podcast, podcast, podcast. Uh, I am your host, Chris Sinclair, the famous one, joined by my co-host, the not-so-famous one, Mr. Drew Garrison. Hey, what's up, guy? I, I hate how accurate that is now because... We had someone reach out to us like, hey, this is really cool. Can we share it on like our local page? And then I was like, yeah, of course, because I run the Instagram. And then I went to like their hyperlink, went to the recommended local podcast in the Sacramento area. And it turns out that you're the only person that hosts this podcast. It's a lot of work. I don't know how you do it. How do you do it by yourself? What am I doing here? That's what I want. I I always want to know that. I think it's just always fun to learn like when people reach out to you for for like content and stuff than to immediately learn that they actually don't listen. So. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> but that was, yeah. we still appreciate it. Hey, if it, if it got one more person listening to us, like, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> it's Chris Andrew, not That's just right. Chris. Um, well, we're, we're excited to be here. It's uh, we're doing another morning podcast, but we're doing a morning podcast in person. Cause I missed you. I missed you too. I went to Disneyland. I miss your touch. We're back together. And we have an awesome guest today. I am Disneyland. You are. Yeah, you are the happiest place on earth as far as I'm concerned. Um, So our guest today is a Pitbull enthusiast. Like the the rapper or or the the, the dog? The dog form. I I mean, I'm both. Which I knew that you would be because I was like, like, ooh, Chris is going to dig this about about this. Um, He also dabbles in... um, Iron horses, aka motorcycles. I saw a lot nice. of those. My wife won't on, let me do that on, on the Instagram. Nor should she let you do that. I disagree. You risk their your livelihood enough just by being yourself. So that's a fact. Um, <laughs> he is the founder, brand ambassador, purveyor, all the fun things of Liquid Alchemist. Our guest today, Randy Tarlow. Hello, sir. Welcome. You're here. Buenos dias, gentlemen. So, Randy, what are you drinking? Well, this morning, we have a really unique spirit that uh, I was introduced to. It's called Jono. It's an agave spirit, but it's a California agave spirit using Americano, which I thought was really exciting as an agave, and I hadn't heard it before, but it is delicious. Yeah, so for our listeners, this is actually former guest Gian from Jono Spirits. Uh, We finally got his product in. It's um, it's batch number one, bottle number sixteen. Wow! And what do you think? Well, I, I'm only on taste one, so I don't want to get to it. So I'm going to continue to taste this. But Randy, I want you to get into what Liquid Alchemist is, a little bit about yourself, how you got to this point, and then we're going to sip on this, and we'll, we'll come back to the spirit. But we want people to know, like that's what we're sipping on. That's, those are the slurping noises you hear in the background. So, Randy, tell us a little bit about Liquid Alchemist. I'll give you Liquid Alchemist story and the bio. So Liquid Alchemist is a premium syrups company, and it uses natural ingredients. It's my life's work. It was invented in my kitchen years ago. I was a bartender in a former life, and this was something that I created as um, a passion project. I was doing events, and I was doing bar programs, and I needed natural syrups, and uh, none existed at the time, so I created this. And after a long, arduous process and trials and tribulations, what we have today is natural syrups with wicked shelf life, and they're distributed nationally by Southern Glazers. And they're on a little e-commerce site called Amazon 
as well as um, our website, liquidalchemist.com. I've heard of Amazon. Small family-owned company, I believe. <laughs> that's what I hear. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so when syrups, what, what are you using the syrups for? I mean, obviously we have a lot of industry people who listen to this podcast, but someone who's maybe not a bartender, like why does a natural syrup matter? Why are you using syrups in your bar programs? Well, think of it like pancakes. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Deal. Yeah. Down. <laughs> you got me already. And, and mind you, you can use liquid alchemist on pancakes as I do. Yeah. <laughs> Strawberry syrup on pancakes. But yeah, it's the same thing. It's just like any 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 uh any product you use. It's all about the ingredients. So, you know, whether you're gonna use pancake syrup that's all natural or organic, or you're gonna use some, you know, fake corn syrup, uh plastic squeeze bottle with a red label, you know, uh it's just how good of quality ingredients you want to eat. And the same is with your bar program or when you're making cocktails. It's the ingredients that you put into your cocktails um, determine the result. And if they're going to be selling, if they're going to be uh, well received by consumers, um, and that's what Liquid Alchemist is. It just gives um, gives people an option to elevate their cocktails. It's a great sidecar to a really good spirit that goes into a cocktail. Uh, and fresh juice, for example, I uh, can't forget about the, the mixer or the sweetener in this case, and that's liquid alchemist. Yeah. So I think one of the one of the things that we were talking about before we jumped on was there there are options out there that have been out there for a long time. Um, they usually come in big plastic bottles. They're fluorescent colors that typically results in um, maybe some of the worst hangovers you ever had in your life. I know for myself. I mean, that's a, that's a steep category for me, <laughs> but, uh, so it's, you know, there, there are these things that exist. And I think one of the things that stands out, especially for someone, you know, who's, you know, in a store looking for these different modifiers, um, and they're going to see that price difference, right? They're going to see that big plastic jug. That's going to be, you know, cheap. That's, that's what's going to be this stuff where it is, uh, it is more expensive, but that quality is going to be, you know, if you're sitting there and you're talking to someone about those differences between what they might have been used to seeing versus what they could potentially have at their home bar or at their bar, you know, anywhere. I mean, what are what are some of the, the things that you like to highlight to people when you're talking about like, hey, this is why you spend those extra couple dollars because because of A, B and C. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. I teach a, a national USBG seminar on this exact subject called USBG for our listeners who might not know. Uh, sorry, the US Bartenders Guild. Um, sound official. Yeah, right. It sounds very it official. sounds official. But it's a lot of fun. And if you've been to a regional conference for USBG, you know it's, it's an absolute blast. Uh, but there also is an educational component, and this subject is something that I do teach about. Um, but basically, I give a you know, listener the analogy of uh, shopping at a grocery store. So some people are very into food. Uh, they value health, and you'll go to Whole Foods and you'll shop, you know, organic produce. You'll shop, um, you know, grass-fed meats if that's your thing, uh, so on and so forth down the grocery aisle. And then you go home and you make a cocktail, and you use cheap artificial ingredients to make your cocktail with your very expensive whiskey or very expensive tequila. Well, it doesn't make sense to me, right? So if you think about a mixer like that. Um, you look at the ingredients, turn around the bottle, and when you're shopping for your mixer, in this case a syrup, look at what the ingredients are. And, and it should complement on um, the rest of your cuisine or, or whatever 
whatever produce goes into your cocktail, or in this case, definitely spirits. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we see see such a growth in um, the shift in in consumption mentality, right? I mean, with the slow food movement, and you know, you see it with with the way people engage with their alcohol. You know, whether it's their wines. We've talked about clean wines, quote unquote, right, and natural well, wines. Well, you're not allowed to talk about well, that anymore. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we don't talk about Bruno. Yeah, uh, and that's uh, I just got that song stuck in everybody's head who is a parent now. Yep, uh, you're welcome. Uh, you know, but I I think that maybe for mixers and whatnot that that story hasn't translated over quite yet, right? And I, do you find yourself really still still beating that drum? Is it an easier easier fucking like beat to? To dance to now with, with that being sort of the national narrative or it's taken me 15 years to get to this point started in my kitchen in 2007 i've been telling the story from uh some of the biggest restaurant groups in the country to the most powerful liquor distributors in the country you know the value of mixers what syrups are not just for pancakes and um <laughs> it has been an ongoing process we're at a point right now where i believe we're in a renaissance uh, with cocktails again, as we were back in, I saw it in 2005. Um, but in this case, uh, we're having a discerning customer that has a high disposable income after the whole shutdown process, and they want to spend on good things. They're not afraid to buy good spirits, and they're not afraid to go out to cocktail bars and to spend money on quality cocktails. Mm-hmm. And so then ergo, Liquid Alchemist with the syrups, I think... After all of these years of, of the hustle and the hard work and, and educating on the category, I think now is the perfect time for um, for my brand specifically, but also for any other premium mixer or any kind of syrup or any other product that is, um, I guess, in that category uh, to shine. So I think the, what what I like about your story and, and why I was excited that we had the opportunity to talk with you is that you know, you've taken that next step that so many people in our industry want to take. Like they have, I mean, we have a good friend of ours, Chad Brown, who has, you know, a certain thing that he wants to do. And and we're very excited for him. We really hope that it can come together. Um, But there's obviously just all these trials and tribulations that you go through. And we have a couple of friends as well that, you know, have kind of made it through that and and whatnot. Looking back over the last 15 years, like if there was one thing that you could tell somebody that, has aspirations to take this bartending gig and turn it into their life's work as you described it which i actually really loved like that that was, that was a really great way to describe it like what's like and, and i'm sure this is impossible to boil down but it, what jumps out to you when i ask you this like when you think about that like hey you're about to take this next step do this or just whatever or don't or don't do this <laughs> <laughs> were you at my seminar last week in chicago i spoke exactly on this subject uh, there's an entrepreneurial leadership conference where I talked about this seminar uh, and it was titled um, how to make your side hustle into a business. Yeah. And it talks exactly what you just described. Um, it goes through the steps that I took trials and tribulations. Uh, it, it, and it, what it does is it teaches people, um, I guess bullet points of what they need to be doing as they take their side hustle or their, you know, their, their idea and they, they turn it into reality mm-hmm. and then they could potentially monetize it and grow it 
and scale it into an actual business. Um, but to answer your question specifically, I learned the hard way. I grew up uh, in a small town in New Jersey. I did not come from money. I started working in the restaurant business very young. Where in New Jersey? Um, Lebanon Township, New Jersey, in Hunterdon County, in Northwest Jersey. I don't know there that. Were cows, and we used to hit deer all the time in the car. I I I was I was born in Perth Amboy. Oh, I know Perth Amboy. And then grew, grew up in like Central Jersey. You guys at the Amboy yeah. Theater. Uh huh. On that big old scary bridge. So anyway, I digress. <laughs> so so you know, fast forward. My whole life's been in the service industry, and I, as I said, I was starting to make Liquid Alchemist between my bar shifts. I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have financial backing. I had no investment. I didn't have any money. I just recycled all of the money I made from my bar shifts into my syrups R&D. And mm. I would buy products, make syrups, sell them. And, um, and that's how Liquid Alchemist was born. And I just, I, I grew it. If I were to go back and do it all over again, <laughs> I would probably pay attention in college, uh, figure out a business plan, try to raise some capital, um, and then get some, some help. And, um, and do it that way instead of just doing absolutely everything soup to nuts and putting the work in. Um, but, you know, these are hindsight's twenty twenty, And like I use the word trials and tribulations, right? Mm -hmm. So that was, that's the story. Okay, so let me ask you this. At what point did you stop doing things for exposure? Because cause think about, because I'm sure at, at a time people were kind of like, hey, this would be great exposure for your brand. Right. So just for, for visuals, he is throwing his head back laughing right now because he knows exactly what this means. So what what because I think that is the tough part But the, 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 the two tough things for anybody who's starting a side gig. Because I know I have my like private tasting gig that I do and it's it's determining what your value is. And then it's getting to that point where you stop doing it as good exposure and you start getting paid. So where was that moment for you? Oh, um, well, if you ask anybody that that knows me a very long time or anybody that's currently works for me or with me. Uh, I'm, I'm not interested in the spotlight. Mm. Um, I have no desire to be ever to have been a star tender, to be a celebrity. Uh, it's all about my brand. It's the brand comes first. I'm, I'm a, an employee of the brand and I, I have that philosophy from day one and therefore it forces me to stay focused on the product that's in the bottle rather than, the hoopla around the product. So I've always been kind of a, I suppose, a slave to my customers. Mm. Um, customer wants something. I need two bottles of ginger syrup. When you need to buy? Oh, like two hours. Get it done. Right? And anybody that's in liquor sales or any yeah. kind of sales or anything customer service knows the importance of meeting the needs of their customer. And, and, and that is something that I've built a reputation on for my, my career. Um, and with it, my company's character of, of, of top-notch service, mm. of, of always accommodating needs of our customers, whatever it is that they need, working with our distributor and being a support system for them. Um, but, but your question specifically, um, it's, it's always been organic. Honestly, through that question, it's never been something where I've, I've always tried to put my best foot forward. It just, it happens. I am not good at PR. 
am not good at advertising myself or my company. I'm very fortunate over the last few years to have uh, hired some great people that work for me slash Liquid Alchemist. Awesome salespeople, great marketing people that have helped to, to, to get the message out. I'm very thankful for them because without them, I, I think it, would, it, it could in some way still be me in the kitchen, figuratively or literally, whatever you want to look at that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do have one more question for you. Um, this is going to go back to Harvard and Stone, the R&D bar. Um, you once made the second best cocktail in the world with Zaya Rum, Fernet Branca, Liquid Alchemist, Orjat, and Walnut and Coffee Bitters. My question for you is, what is the first best cocktail in the world? <laughs> All right. So, okay. All right. So, I, I, that's a really funny... I love that cocktail, by the way. It's very good. I, I think I'm... It sounded... It did sound it really is. good. Yeah, it, it does is. sound really good. It is. And I remember the... I, I mean, I've been going to Harbor and Stone for years, whether it's a customer or working behind it. I love that bar. It's, it's an absolute pleasure. I love that bar. It's yeah, great. It's, it's great. There's so many things that happen back there. Um, to tell stories from and, and to enjoy. But that second best cocktail, I did a bar program at a place called Resident in downtown LA, and I put that cocktail on. And again, it's, it's to, to know the way that I think in my life philosophy. Like, I, I am like a, I'm kind of a self deprecator. I like to, to keep myself at bay and elevate everybody around me mm-hmm. to help them as a support person. And also, I have this weird philosophy about uh, being second place. I love being in second place. First of all, I like silver better than gold, as you can see. <laughs> he is he is covered in silver, everybody. Right? <laughs> yes, yeah, so uh, people uh, are as the kids say. Ooh, yeah. add that to the lexicon. I have an irrational fear of being attacked by a werewolf in second. <laughs> I mean... Very, it's not, not that irrational, really. Yeah, that is genuine as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> the guy outside my hotel might slightly resemble that. <laughs> but anyway, yes, and also with, with, this, with the second best, I always thought like kind of this weird philosophy of like being in first place is a very difficult position to hold mm. because, you know, fame is fleeting and you can't hold first forever. So I'm like, well, if you're in second place, that's a great spot to be in, you know, um, and also sometimes you might rise to first, but keeping in that second position, you know, it's like, uh, you know, like, uh, what is it? Uh, Ricky Bobby, where they do, uh, what do they do? That little move that they do. Oh, shake the, and bake. Yeah. Shake it. Yeah. yeah shake and bake shot. John C. Riley. Yeah. So I just always kind of had this weird philosophy about like, you know, second best of everything. It's kind of funny. So I named that cocktail the second best cocktail in the world. Yeah. And the question is, which is the first best cocktail in the world? Which is number one? Yeah. And that's why it leaves it up to the person to decide. Yeah. But we're never proclaiming that we're number one in anything. Yeah. Right? So that's why this second best cocktail has that name. The, the other good thing about being in second place is if you're playing Mario Kart, the blue shell goes after the guy first. It does. So you want to nail, you that's nail a, that's him. That's a fact. You want to do it yeah. about like 100 yards before the finish line. You nail him and then you can go around him so he can yeah. catch up. Yes. Yeah. See? There's a lot of science here. Right? Is it science? Yeah. Is it science? A social scientist. <laughs> I can, we can see that. You're drinking social science. Backed by statistics. Yeah. Well, now I think yeah. it's time for our opinion on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. Okay. So our first story tonight is we're talking about a um, tequila CEO who just received an 18-month sentence for lying to investors about his brand of tequila. Um, and... 
it was you raised nine hundred thirty-five thousand dollars by about twenty-five different investors uh, by basically defrauding them with with uh, fraudulent numbers, also telling them that stock was lost in it was Hurricane Maria, Maria in I believe. Uh, and this guy's name is Joseph Camino. He was just sentenced earlier this week. He was from Six Degree Tequila, which comes from our favorite distillery. Uh, the good old 1438, which if you listened to the podcast before, you know that that is like one of the biggest producers of tequila. Like just kind of go down there. Yeah, Drew and I trash, uh, trash talk that distillery. Well, you know, all you got to do is drink it. And um, <laughs> it does it all itself. But I, I'll say this, like, I, and I'm going to show you guys, but this is what their bottles look like. And it's like a fancy celebrity water. That um, is vile. Yeah, I encourage everyone. It, it looks very vodka-esque. You know what it looks like? It also kind of looks like SpaceX. Yeah. Yeah, very phallic. It also looks uh, like a smart water bottle. Yeah. Very much. Yeah, is there yeah. that. There's like a little Bennett. Either way, um, this guy is going, going you know, to jail, jail for 18 months. Um, so the reason I wanted to bring this one up is because, you know, Randy, you've, you've not lied to people about what you're doing, but you have been in a position where, like, you've tried to raise funds, and you actually mentioned earlier that you wish you would have done more of that um, than, than what you did. So just from the perspective of a brand owner, what is it like to go to people and be like, give me money for this thing that I'm super passionate about and you might not fully understand? I can't speak on that because I've never taken a dime of investment. I've never sought it either. It's all been uh, my money and it's all been recycled liquid optimist money. We're a self-sustaining company based on our profits. Nice. It's okay. actually, it's, it's, it's quite a miracle. But we have never taken investor money before. The only thing that we, we received was the paycheck protection during COVID. And that was to keep my payroll afloat so I didn't have to let everybody go. Right. Now, have you been, uh, like at this point, because you, know, you, you are distributed by the biggest distributor in the U.S. Like, have you had people approach you at this point and kind of be like, hey, let me get a piece? Oh, yes. Um, we've had quite a few um people approach over the last few years and, and at different phases and where the company's at right now, it, it's, it's pretty bright. Um, but for me, it's, it's more about um, spirituality and my soul in this company. Mm -hmm. I'm not just going to take money from anybody. If, if I were to be at a point that I needed it and I felt that it was, um, it was strategic, I would be open to the conversation, but uh, it, it's something where I have a very clear vision of this company and of business and of where we need to be. So to date, I, I can't relate to that story that you just mentioned. Right. However, as an owner, uh, I believe that that man needs to be tarred and feathered first. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I just, I just think that, uh, you know, we, we've seen specials on this. We've seen, you know, the Enron story and all the Netflix specials on all this. Uh, it's just really, it's disappointing to see that. It's, it's disappointing when, you know, for the employees, it's disappointing for the distributor or for the customers that were deceived and purchased that product. I really feel bad, but I do maintain my position on that man needs to be targeted. I think, I think that's a good position. And I don't, and I definitely don't want to be like, it's like, yeah, obviously Randy's also doing this to people. Um, but so for, but for like our for like our listeners and stuff, you know, Chris, this is something that you're seeing a lot more of, like investment opportunities in spirits. Um, I have a whiskey company that that I distribute that they're, you know, they're doing a big fundraiser right now, um, and they're having success with it, right? Like 
and it's just it's really interesting to see people kind of go about it that way. Um, Chris, is there is there like a type of spirit that if you were approached with an investment opportunity that you'd be like absolutely do that, or like what are the questions that you would ask as a potential investor? Oh, that's a good question. Um, only because I'm psychotic and um, and don't do things for immediate return because I'm really good at business. Um, I, if somebody were to come, come at me with uh, like a California brandy, I would probably look at investing. Oh, okay. Um, just because it's still under, you know, undersaturated market. I can see how this guy raised money with tequila, especially after like Clooney juice going, going crazy. Right. You know, the, the other thing that, that really stuck out to me was like 900 grand is not a lot of money for, no, not for the tequila game. It's not, no, like that's, I mean, Okay, so he created a package, which is, we can all agree, comical. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, he probably bought enough to, like, make a handful of, you know, a handful of purchases of juice. You know, fill up those bottles, get it into a couple places in and around the area. But, yeah, it, with that amount of money, like, well, I don't know. What did he do? Like, did he just pocket it and then so, take it and run? So or? the way the way that um, so what he was reporting to his investors was that he had sold thirty four hundred cases of tequila. The actual sales totals were about three hundred and fifty. Um, and then what he what they're saying is that he transferred about four hundred and seventy two thousand uh, dollars of investor money into his personal bank account to pay for his food, entertainment, and other living expenses. So it was not being invested back into the business. Yeah. So basically, I, I think on that, I read that story too. I don't think that he had distribution from a wholesaler. And if that were the case, then it would be very difficult to track the depletions of the sales reports. Right. So, you know, working for, you know, a JVS, a Southern Glazers, an RNDC, we could run sales data that has factual reports. And, and they're different. I guess I suppose you could fudge them if you really wanted to. It's it's something that you can verify easily by calling in a place and saying, "Hey, do you have this tequila?" So I think that's kind of where he duped the investors. Mm. Is like you said, he basically communicated his um, his current sales, and people got excited. And they, I just well, I just wonder like that. There's no way he went in as a mastermind and was like, "Here's yeah, how I'm going to make a lot of money for myself. I'm going to pretend to start a, a tequila company." I think he probably just failed thinking that it was a gold mine going into it. I would agree with that. I think so. Like, for example, in a saturated tequila market, you realize that uh, distributors basically collect brands. So mm -hmm. you come up with a tequila. If the three of us decide tomorrow we want to go down to uh, 1438, 1438, you know, <laughs> raise, take 10 grand, slap a label, we can have juice. You know, maybe it's a couple pallets of juice yep. within, you know, six months, right? Yep, totally. And then yep. based on our connections, we go and we get a distributor to pick it up. And guess what? We have a SKU that can be sold by a distributor. Well, if in that process something falls and maybe it doesn't get set up with a distributor or, you know, we have to start hawking it out of our car, I think that's kind of where, where it falls short. And then the workload becomes too much. And then perhaps, you know, we kind of get lazy but we still have an excitement that's been raised from people that want to get on board based on our industry connections. You know, yeah. these three these three chaps have tons of connections. There's no way that if these guys create a brand, it's not going to be successful, right? So right. people get on board. And then we just go kick it down in Cabo and spend all their money. 
Right. It's kind of what it is. All right, yeah. let's go. <laughs> Sold. Deal. Damn. I mean, not living in this country. Yeah. Twist my arm. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think that, I think you guys are both right. I don't think this was necessarily something that this was like his get rich quick scheme. It was just kind of like, oh, this isn't really working, but I have $425,000 to kind of do whatever the hell I want to with it. And, um, you know, the good ones never get caught. So <laughs> business ethics, I've seen Billy Madison. Yeah. Final ethics. questionnaire. Eric, business ethics. Yeah. yeah. Great. Uh, I think, I think that's, I think that's all we have to say about criminal intent when it comes to tequila. Well, you know, what's really interesting about this one is, is I, what it really reminded me of was, uh, 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 Anya Fernald from Belcampo. And so the Belcampo um, s- sort of slow food market. Are you talking about the meat company? The meat company. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She she ended up getting caught and shutting down, right? Because one of her employees, when they quit, just videoed everything on, on social media. And Penalty just, flag. And just said, like, hey, this is actually where all this meat's coming from. Right. Right? Yeah. But what makes this really interesting on top of that is not only did she build a very successful business in Belcampo for that meat that was all supposed to be, you know, locally sourced, organic, you know, all the taglines, right? And maybe she even started off that way but just couldn't couldn't subsist and, and sustain but now she also is part owner of Copali Rum, which has a very similar, very, uh, very, you know, eco-friendly story. Which for now, for now, yeah. Which to me, not even knowing that she was a part of it when when I started drinking the juice, I like Copali Rum. It I is th- good. Yeah, I think it's tasty. Yeah, but. When they tell me everything about it, I was like, cool. I'll believe you when I see it. Like, I want to go down there. If it exists, if that's, it's that's like, a belief it sounds product, right? It is. Yep. Yeah. Their cocoa, their uh, cocoa infused rum is fucking delicious. Like, I can't keep it on the shelves. Their white rum is of a superior quality. It's it's really. Yeah, no, they, they make good stuff, but it's definitely, it's definitely one of those things too. It's like, yeah, then you, you, you get really excited about the, that eco nature. And you're just kind of like, you're like, oh, but then you hear some of the players involved are kind of like, well, if they lied about this, yeah, is there the possibility to also be lying about that? I would say, yes, it's a strong possibility that they were lying about it because they said, hey, this is successful. Yeah. What was that thing? Uh, business ethics. Business ethics. Business ethics. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I just, on a tangent on that real fast, I, I've discovered quite a few spirit brands over the last couple months that have ownership that I have no idea existed especially in the tequila game you know we always attach a celebrity to it right yep. right it rises. But yep. it's usually the the um the strategist behind it you know obviously uses the uh celebrity as a puppet and where does that strategist come from you know are they a former ceo of brand x are they a real estate mogul and what it is so if you really start opening up the dossier you're always going to find something on a, on, a, on, a, on a multinational, successful millionaire business owner. I mean, to get to that level, you know, you, you, you've had to have a possibly a rocky past. Mm. So, I mean, I'm not even close to that level, but I can imagine that, you know, somebody who's a mega millionaire in real estate 
probably did some nefarious things to get to that level. And then when they're bridging over into the, you know, our world and spirits, our beer, whatever, wine, um, you know, they carry with it the skeletons in the closet. Um, and I think it would be nice to say that that person can start fresh, you know, with their new project. Um, in this case, Bill Compo Gal, I didn't know that existed. I do know the rum. I have worked with the rum quite a bit. But again, I'm not, I'm not privy to that. And um, thank you for letting me know. That's that's a ah gotcha sorry. journalism. Ha! <laughs> well, I think that I think and I, and, and I with that being the case, I mean, I I do feel that you should always give people the benefit of the doubt, right? It's kind of like okay, you've made mistakes. When we have people here in Sacramento that have made similar mistakes, that you know, you hope that they can right the ship and get back to what they originally said they were going to do. Um, but I do think that that is kind of like a you know, just being aware of it. Right. I mean, there's also like stuff like stuff like that, right. Is so easily, if you have the means and the desire so easily fact check, right. Like going to Belize is easy. If you have the money and the means, and if it's a thing that you want to do, right. Yeah. I am. I am not that person. I was going to say, is anybody here in this room? I'm I'm not that person, but I I feel like we could like drop a pin at Google earth and figure out where this is going. If, If like, you know, if the distillery exists, which it does, um, you can also fact check sort of their ecotourism then from that, you know, if you really gave a shit. Yeah. I, I'm interested. I would like to go down there. I do hope that they're actually doing a really good job because it's a great story that is completely plausible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, you know, she is only one person in a company of right. many. Right. You know, that ho- hopefully some good choices were made along the way. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, we're not going to bury any more brands now. That's a lot. <laughs> All right. So on to our next story. Um, this one is actually about what the wine industry has gotten wrong about marketing to younger generations. And this is something that we've talked about before with a couple different people. And I just think that it's it, it never stops to amaze me how... The wine industry continues to botch this whole thing. And this article that we ended up reading really tapped into that because in 1995, they did a study that had 70 million people between 21 and 30, only 8% um, were considered, considered themselves regular wine drinkers. So that's pretty alarming if you're in the industry at that time, right? Um, to bring that up to here to 2022, that number has risen. All the way to fourteen percent. So you know they're I mean, really, I mean, that's pretty substantial. Really. They're they're they're, they're going they're growing, but you would think that would be it would be bigger. Um, there's a couple of different factors that play into this. Um, you know, a lot of people associating wine with kind of like this elitism that like oh, I can't really afford it, I can't really appreciate it. Um, a lack of an on ramp. You know, not necessarily having well made wine that is more affordable. Uh, and then also, you know, smaller wine producers, what you tend to see, like, and I think Luca Alchemist is a, is an example of this. It's like this well-made stuff that, you know, doesn't have the marketing budgets. It doesn't have all these different things to get into people's faces. Um, so I wanted to talk about this one. And, and again, with Randy, you being here, it's kind of like, like how, when you're looking at your marketing approach and stuff, because again, like you don't have these massive budgets and things like that. You're doing a lot of your marketing through education, getting liquid to lips and things like that. Is there ever thought about like how do you target younger 
at-home bartenders, older at-home bartenders, or what's that like for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I definitely embark on that. Referring to the, to the, your, uh, your article you just brought up, though, I think that um, one thing that is great that's happening right now is the rise of the rosé and the sparkling movement with some of these fun brands like uh, what is it, Hampton Water from Bon Jovi and then the Fat Jewish has um, his, uh, his rosé brand, mm -hmm. super popular rosé brand. This guy's got millions of followers on Instagram. Um, so they've leaned into an audience that a generally sophisticated wine product is not. Babe Wine. Babe Wine? Mm -hmm. hey, check out his rosé. Mm -hmm. Fat Jewish. He is the, the face of it. Uh, he's a uh, an Instagram guru. And he's, he's actually a really cool success story. Um, RNDC distributes that product. And um, I just can't think of the name of that uh, rosé. Anyway, yeah, so what it's doing is that, plus the screw cap, and plus the different vessels with the canned wines are reaching a new demographic it's white girl rosé white girl rosé thank you thank you <laughs> very so on brand th this makes it this makes it fun and this makes it picnicky this makes it cool to have at concerts um and it also kind of you know it's 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 okay for for that you know gen z or even some of the millennials to approach it the problem is that um wine is always painted in a very sophisticated manner and it's unapproachable for a lot of people your point before about you know elitist i see that with, with my products, you know, we're a premium product. So we fit into price category that, you know, people on a budget or perhaps college kids or that type of uh, age group can't necessarily afford. And, and I appreciate that. I respect that. Um, but we have really, really dug in over the last year um, trying to figure out a different target consumer other than, you know, our our go-to traditional craft cocktail bar and, and mixologist. Um, we've shifted focus to um, mocktails mm -hmm. with with a non-alc movement. Um, you know, uh, there's there's sober hashtags on social media that, that's trending, and I think it's great because our products don't necessarily have to be combined with alcohol. Um, you can cook with them. You can make non-alcoholic beverages, frozens, any anything you want to do. So it's definitely a challenge, you know, for, for my company to try to figure out, you know, additional streams of revenue through demographic. And then, you know, going back to your story with, with the wine business, um, it's definitely a struggle. I and mean, you mentioned 14% of consumers, you know, I mean, I don't even know how, how true that is. There's, that's a, it could even be less than that. It's not cool to drink wine. It's cool to drink tequila and liqueurs and vodka. Mm. Um, so yeah, I see a challenge. I, I, one of the things that I, I find really interesting, um, and we see it, we see it happening uh, in real time right now is the, sort of the rise of like natural wines. Right. Uh, and even the wine drinkers who are our age, right. Our contemporaries will poo poo, um, natural wine, uh, uh bottling, like their labels, and whatnot because they're too they're too trendy they're too cool they're trying trying too hard to grab people but to me it's it's like this there's this really fantastic shift in the environment 
that is actively trying to grab people, is actively trying to do something different. And maybe maybe it's uh, a little gauche, maybe it's uh, you know a little verbose. They're you know going too hard in the paint, if you will, to to grab new people, but it's working. Like there's a whole new segment of wine drinker, at least in our little bubble, that's consuming natural wines. They're engaging. I mean, we've had Nadia on here multiple times talking about. Yeah, she has an entire shift of career because she's engaging with the wine world now. Um, it's just really fascinating to see that even this being a well-known problem, that even just on a on a minute level, on a person-to-person level, the the wine professionals uh, are still engaging as much as they try not to in that in that older style of just saying, well, this is, you know, we want, you know, these respectable people who have this legacy and it's very fancy and we still, we still want to celebrate this, but we wish other people would jump on and celebrate it with us and not, and not interact in this other way that we're not comfortable. I I think it's interesting from the perspective of like, you know, as someone who sells a lot of wine and does sell, you know, a lot of like Georgian wine, which, falls underneath the natural umbrella in a lot of cases. Like I have a, I have a very prominent wine buyer in this area and we were having a conversation about how to attract a newer group. And it was funny. It's like, I just have this older generation that only wants to buy this, this, and this, your California shards and, and things like that. It's like, and I don't know how to get new drinkers into this. And there have been times in the past where I have talked to this person about natural wines about, you know, more affordable Bordeaux and things like that. And their response then was, well, that shit doesn't sell. And it's kind of like, it doesn't sell to your current climate, you know, you know, client base, but it's like, you are looking to expand and, you know, these drinkers. And I think your brand is a good indicator of this. Like people care what they're putting into their bodies right now. And if you're telling me that these classic California wines, which can have upwards of 140 different elements of what the hell ever going into them, I know for myself, as I've gotten more and more into wine, I've completely moved away from most California wines because you just don't know what you're getting and there's no transparency there. So I would rather roll the dice on something that was, you know, natural fermentation and little uh, intervention as much as possible. Right. Because I think that's where, as people become more conscious about what they're doing, it's like, it, it does translate to what you're mm-hmm. drinking as well. And that does, you know, does appeal to a younger audience. And it's just funny. It's like, again, talking about that wine retailer where it's like, you completely shot down the concept of carrying these different things. Like you, you know, and you've asked about other shops, like why they're doing so well. It's like, cause they carry things that nobody else carries everything that you have. It's like, if you get, and not to bash your distributor here, but it's like, if you're only working with Southern and RNDC, then you're getting what every grocery store is getting. You're getting what every shop is getting pushed out, you know? And it's like, you do have to put the legwork in and you do have to find the new things to appeal to people. And it's like, and if you can, you know, I mean, here in Sacramento, we have three natural wine bars now. 
that all popped up within the year of each other. Which is which is mental. And and the one that and, and I like and I actually really do enjoy all of them. They're all very and they're all unique, mm-hmm. which is funny because it's like you would think they all kind of fall into the same category. But like the most recent one that I've become more familiar with, like with Good News Wine and Bennett's approach to it, who is the owner of Good News, is that I don't want people to walk in and be like, oh, this is a natural wine bar. That's not the aesthetic he's going for. Natural wine is not mentioned anywhere. Now, that's his ethos when it comes to purchasing things and having things that you can buy and stuff like that. And one of the stories that he was sharing with me was um, had, there was a wine symposium happening in Sacramento. These things happen all the time up here because we're at the big convention center. And, you know, and got, we're in the middle of wine country. And we're in the middle, yeah, we just the wine country. And so we get, uh, he has a guy that comes in that's a, you know, prominent winemaker and he's sitting there and he's drinking wine. And the whole time he's talking about how over natural wine he is and how ridiculous he thinks it is while simultaneously drinking natural wine and he has no <laughs> idea that it's natural wine. Right. And I think that is like this, that old guard mentality that applies in the wine world where it's just kind of like, 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 no, you can't do it like this. You have to do it like that. Or like, these are the more conventional things or like, why would like, well, I, th- were- I think we saw the same phenomenon with, with the cocktail world, right? Like when every place that was opening up was speakeasy or speakeasy esque, right. And it was like deep, dark places that just made it more and more unapproachable. Right. And, and, Cocktails stopped being fun and cocktails started costing $35 and which is fine. Like there's totally a place for it. But as it was this consistent ratcheting upwards of cocktails and ingredients that people couldn't pronounce because it sounded fancy and fun, uh, you know, there was this point when a lot of sort of the old guard bartenders were like, yo, let's make cocktails fun again. You know, like and let's wear t-shirts instead of bow ties and vests. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> we want people to come through the door and like actually leave feeling good about themselves and have a good time and like build community. Randy, is that something that you're ever concerned about? Like with having a higher price point syrup that you might be like, I don't want to get put into this category of, as like uppity, but like you still want to make it approachable. Like what's that like for you? It's very interesting because when I first um, signed on with Southern Glazers, this is before Southern Glazers, uh, this was like 2015 in Southern California. Uh, they said, Hey, look, you know, we're going to, we're going to keep this brand in SoCal. We're going to focus on, you know, the top 5% of these uh, cocktail bars. And then inside this 5%, we're going to focus on tiki bars. Cause you know, you have an orjot, that's you know, your show point is your best flavor. So they rolled it out in that way, and we miss out on guess what? Ninety-five percent of the account world. Yeah. Well, after a few years, it shifted, and they looked. Okay, we realized that most of the sales are coming from guess what? The ninety-five percent, because the five percent are the ones that either a make it in house, mm-hmm. or b make it in house, or c, whatever. Yeah. You know, see where I'm going yeah. with this? Yeah. So once we shifted our focus, we realized that. It doesn't necessarily need an educated bartender that reads Death and Company book like the Bible. We don't need the person who knows, you know, 101 classic cocktails and wears the vest and the bow tie and, you know, has a Jerry Thomas tattoo on their back. We want the people. I want to meet that guy. Oh, my God. Well, you're looking at him right now. <laughs> do you have a Jerry Thomas tattoo on your back? <laughs> no, but I do have a My Tire done. That's um, much more respectable. Yeah, thank you. Uh, but... It, what the point is here is that 
when you when you hyper focus on a specific um, type that's going to use your products, or you try to keep your product in a niche, uh, you're eliminating the potential of all the other ones. And and my story is just a, a testament to it. Is that we have restaurants that are using our products, they're not charging a lot for cocktails, but they want quality cocktails because they want it to match their food and they want to have an elevated experience for the guests. And their concept is I'd rather sell two good cocktails than one bad cocktail, right? Customer likes it, they're going to order more and they're going to tell their friends. So with that, we do more business in dive bars, high volume craft, simple national accounts, uh, steakhouses. And then of course, yeah, we have our, our ultra crafty, you know, speakeasy bars and cocktail bars that use a scant bar spoon of grenadine, you know, in their scofflaw or something. Right. You know, I, uh, this um, parallel is coming, is drawing up in my mind, something that I've tried to explain to people over the years and I, I failed at doing so. So I'm going to fail another time in attempting to do so. Uh, that spending a, a little bit more money on something that's delicious and goes a long way. Um, and I, I feel like we keep saying this about liquid alchemy that it's expensive. It's not, uh, it's, 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 it's really not, uh, we sell it here at good bottle. Um, you know, and it sits right at the average with every other syrup that we sell. It's not, you know, a ton. Um, but it's like having a good contractor or having a good, uh, tattoo artist, right? Even though that sticker shock gets you right up front, what you find is actually they get done a lot faster uh, and and uh, and saves you a lot of money by doing it right the first time versus going with whoever charges less and they end up spending a ton of more time working on something and having to redo it and redo it and redo it that actually ends up costing you more money in the long run. I would challenge any bar operator to, to run a P-Mix if you know what that is or you have the mm-hmm. capability to do it on your system. And then look at what's selling. You know, you might you might have some lost leaders on there, and then you might have you know low hanging twenty percent that's not selling at all. Um, and then you look at what your top sellers are, and be like, goodness, I have a product that sold, you know, outsold this one twenty to one. Uh, yeah, okay, great. It's got a, it's got an expensive syrup, or it's got an expensive liqueur in there. If you want to call it expensive, but guess what? It's selling, and my customers Instagramming the heck out of it, and they're coming back asking for this cocktail. Those, you know, I mean, those are the the, the non tangibles, right? That, that those sort of like the, those yeah, ROIs factors. that that really yeah. drive something. It looks really pretty and brings people in through the door. And maybe maybe even that drink is slightly more expensive. But you know what? They're buying a shitload of French fries and chicken wings, also that just really, really. <laughs> it, it is. Those are X factors, Chris. I talk about that too, much similar, but kind of tying in with what um what Drew was saying before about you know the liquor store owner that's like has to step outside the box to start bringing in, you know, eccentric products. You, it's very, very challenging to tell a retailer, like, look, I know you're selling, you know, 50 cases of, of Patron a month. I know you're selling tons of Jameson, but I want you to start getting into, you know, eccentric brandies, you know, and I want you to get into ODBs from whatever. And they're like, well, you know, I'm just looking at what sells. And I respect that, you know, because at the end of the day, it's about, you know, product in, product out for them. Um, and it's the same as the bar. Again, it's like we love our Jameson. You know, we sell tons of it. 
you know, we love our Moscow mule. You get to use a cheap vodka and we use a cheap ginger beer that comes with cheap vodka. How do you educate that retailer? How do you educate that bar operator to take a chance and to have vision and foresight and to see the next step in evolution of their store or of their bar or where the trend is going for cocktails? Yeah. Yeah. Back in the day, man, I used to get all these conversations. Uh, I, when I moved to Sacramento, I, um, I had already been a bartender for about nine, 10 years and, and I'd done my club bartending and, and all that. Um, but all anybody knew of me in this town was uh, red rabbit, right? Um, was cocktails. <laughs> well, the flair was even sort of a, was a joke, right? Cause right. Hey, I'm not that great at flair. Which is why you're, I do, yeah, your coworkers had to wear helmets. Yeah. Well, you were in the circus for a bit in college, right? I I mean, like emotionally. (laughs) Um, And uh, uh, when I would go out in town, I'd talk to people about their new bars that they were opening up. And the first thing people would always say to me was like, well, we're not doing cocktails. It's like, what the fuck does that mean? (laughs) Like, so like, you're not, you're just doing shots over ice. Like it's all, all you're gonna do. They're like, well, we're not gonna do anything fancy. It's just like, it's a weird mentality. What the fuck are you talking about, man? Like, are you yeah. gonna serve are you gonna serve Long Island iced teas? That's a fucking cocktail. Get over it. Just do it better. Right? Yeah. Like and I think there's a I think there's just this huge like people are are of extremes, right? Like I know like let's say when it comes to like the world of, of like fitness and whatnot. I've had people like I'm unfamiliar with that. Well, when I was a lot more heavily involved in it. You would have people who I would be like, say, yeah, well, we can set you up with a personal trainer. I can help you out with these programs, stuff like that. And they would be like, well, you know, like I want to get in shape, but I don't want to be like ripped. It's like, wow, does not happen overnight. Let me assure you, like that's not just one or the other. Or it's like, um, and I know uh, like Arnold Schwarzenegger used to talk about this as well. Where you'd be like, you know, if you went and took golf lessons, you're like, well, I don't want to be as good as Tiger Woods. It's like, <laughs> do you think that you're going to get to that level? It's just kind of like, no, but you can be better at this stuff. And I think, you know, taking the time to educate consumers on like really what's in that bottle that's in front of them and why making these decisions. And, and yeah, and I guess we should probably, we need to back off like saying like that the liquid alchemist is something that's like so expensive. It's not. It's very it's approachable. Not. It's very approachable. It's, it's very approachable. approachable. And, it, and, it, and it really does make a huge difference you well know? The, the, like, and the, to my point about like the tattoo artist or or that uh, general contractor like a little goes a long way right you know so even right. though you're spending a little bit more than let's say finest call i said it uh, <laughs> uh you're using less of it and it does more so you know do the math i can't i'm done let me put, Here we go. Let me put a uh a caveat on that so uh, all all spirit suppliers that are listening currently, earmuffs, please. <laughs> and here's a message to all bar operators: substitute fresh juice for the cheap one. God, substitute please. natural syrups or homemade syrups for the cheap ones you're buying, and change out that premium brand for a cheaper brand. And your cost will balance out because at the end of the day. When two thirds of your cocktail is mixer and dilution and juice, nobody's gonna know. Well, and remove and remove <laughs> remove the brand name off of your menu. It's okay. You can do it. You're allowed to do it, even though brand X or Y paid for your menu. 
it's fine. They but don't how, care. How am I going to hit my KPIs if I don't see my brand name on there? I don't care. This is this is this is the <laughs> this is the problem that we deal with in our industry. So thirty years ago, it wasn't like this. There was a few brands. There was marketing didn't exist. Support didn't exist. But we're in a in a world right now. Brands basically get in the ring to battle for wells and cocktail placements, you know, with their spirits, wine and beer the same. And, you know, unfortunately, um, uh, customers have wet their whistle on that. And they've been trained that you can put your hand out and you'll be supported. And yeah. in some cases, yeah. that, that's true. In other cases, people don't, don't fall to that. I'm not, I'm not saying that every account's the same. But I, I do I have, ex have experienced before where there are operators that say, no, we realize that the mixer is the most important because that's really what people taste right. in, in a cocktail that has all these components and is very juicy or diluted or has syrup in it. So it's not until you get into, you know, an up cocktail uh, or a very like a spiritist forward cocktail or a stirred cocktail where the spirit really shines and makes a difference. I'm going to yeah. go one step further. I'm going to call out, if you're listening, be offended. It's okay. I'm going to call out every subpar bartender and bar manager out there who can't think outside the box and make good drinks out of not the most popular booze. Fucking figure it out, man. If you're, if you're really good at what you do, you can make lemonade out of lemons. I mean, literally, if you can't make lemonade, like actual lemonade in your bar, you need to not be a bartender. You fucking figure it out. That's the, that's the barometer now. And that's been a barometer for a long time. I, I actually still go around Sacramento and ask bartenders to make me lemonade. Awesome. And it's, it's really surprising. That guy, Chris. How, I was often, say, how that often makes so much more sense on like why people feel like it's called there's that citrus guy again. <laughs> He's so sour. It's so many people business venture Chris don't lemonade. know how to make lemonade. Yeah. Like and it's the it's the like the ultimate balance. Right? You got water, you got sugar, and you got acid. Fucking make a lemonade that tastes good. Yeah. And so many bartenders can't do it. So it's not really surprising me that they can't figure out how to make good cocktails out of look, it's 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 golf, guys. Anybody can play putt putt. But it's question: Can you drive a golf ball straight 200 yards? I can't do yeah. either one. Yeah, I'm working on it. Golf game, going back to Tiger Woods. Right? <laughs> yeah, full circle. All right, now time for my favorite segment: the dope follows. We're going to tell you who you should be checking out, who you think is, uh, who we think is dope that you guys need to also think is dope. It could be books, Instagram accounts, other podcasts, movies, whatever the case may be. Um, Chris. Kick us off. Who's your don't follow? Uh, mine is I, I've got a few today, which is a oh, little great. bit rare for me. Great. Um, uh, first one is Brent is on Instagram, uh, and it's a dad blogger. Nice. Uh, Brandon does things. It's Brandon does dot things, uh, and he is he's just a dad, and he posts stuff about what works, what doesn't work, advice, what you know his experience. I like it. It's a it's a feel good, but uh, it speaks to that dadness that Drew and I uh, often reflect on. Love being a dad. We like. I love being a dad. I love being a girl dad. Yes, too. Being Whole a life is fucking rad. <laughs> um, on top of that, uh, going taking a right turn, uh, Drew uh, introduced me to a podcast um, uh, uh, called. Uh, I'm having a. a a little bit of a brain fart here. I apologize. 
um, uh, called Plain English with oh, Derek yeah. Thompson. Uh, I enjoy him. He's a great journalist. And recently he covered he covered a story about AI. Um, yeah, it was uh, fascinating. It was really, really fascinating. And yeah. the, the launch of GPT-3 or GPT-2, it's an, uh, a publicly accessible um, uh, AI platform on on the internet. And it's really, really incredible. And I've been I've been playing around with it, uh, making having this AI make cocktail recipes, having it like write letters to my wife, uh, uh, write um, you She's know just like, come up with finally Chris is romantic. <laughs> come up with things. It just requires a computer to help. Yeah, um, but it's really, really fucking fascinating. Um, and so I I want you guys. Uh, you know, you can dive into it as deep as I have, or you can you can just play with it a little bit. It's really, really fascinating, and I I just strongly suggest people get their hands on it. Um, if you go to uh, beta dot um, you'll be able to create an account and start playing around with this uh, this uh, this AI. It's it's really fascinating, and then get on the play on the waiting list for their. Um, uh, visual AI, which is going to be like text to image, mm-hmm. so you're going to be able to like uh, like text uh, uh, write like make a photorealistic image of a astronaut on a horse on the moon, right? And it'll like create this uh, photorealistic image. I, I I can't wait to play around with this. Honestly, it's been a lot of fun thinking about it from a bar perspective and just creating things, removing that mental block and using something else. Obviously it doesn't do a job better than I can, but it gives, it's kind of fun to like, like, Oh, I see kind of where this computer is going with this. If I do this, 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 I think it would actually be dope. Interesting. Okay. So, all right. So my, uh, my dope follower thing to check out is going to be the G word with Adam Conover. Yep. So that's a new series. It's on Netflix. And uh, if you remember Adam Conover, he's the guy from Adam Ruins Everything, where he just like breaks down stories, like the origins of different stuff. And it's a, it was always a show I really enjoyed. But this new one is talking about government and how it's been applied and different stuff like that. And it is produced by Barack Obama, but I do think that they uh, gave a pretty balanced view of stuff where like government has been helpful and then also where it's messed things up, which anybody who knows me is oh i'm well aware what your thoughts yeah oh boy um <laughs> so so check that out it, like i said it's on netflix right now i think there's like six episodes that they do and um i just they're they're always giving really good research they always cite their research as well it's presented in a fun way it's it's kind of like a good way to educate have you yourself. did you ever watch that um uh the beast that is the global economy that i suggested that you watch on on um uh, uh, Amazon Prime. It's called the Beast. That is- the Beast that is the the global economy. It's f- fucking amazing and terrifying and really really interesting. Yeah, and that's kind of how this will be for people yeah. as well, where it's kind of like, like, oh my gosh, you know. And uh, I did not check that out, but I put all you, you should. The list. You'll you'll really enjoy. That. You got you got to catch me on the right day because you know like, I'm just I'm that close. Every day, every day, every day, just losing it. Just kind of like, <laughs> although you know, you know, per recent events which have been horrible, it's like the first time that my wife has entertained living in a different country. So I'm really trying to stoke those flames right now. Kind of be like, yeah, let's get the fuck out. So um, working on it. Great. Um, all right, young Randall. 
Uh, what do you got for us? My turn. Uh, most of which I like to peruse on uh, social is stuff about um, fitness, uh, tattoos, um, cocktails, just badass stuff in general. Um, but this person that I'm currently, um, uh, my dope fellow is uh, Joanna Castro, and her Instagram handle is infamous Joanna. Is that two two ends or yes. one end? It's one. It's I N F A M O U S. Infamous Joanna J O A N N A H. And and this girl is is just a general badass. Uh, she does everything from weightlifting to roller skating to really good cocktails, and um, uh, runs a really cool bar in Vegas. And then her husband, uh, which is also they kind of they do a whole bunch of things together in these little episodes. Um, his uh, his name is Aris Fornasari, and uh, his handle. Yeah, I'm is, not guessing that one. That's a tough one. <laughs> Um, infamous underscore Aris, and it's spelled I N F A M O O S E underscore A R I S, and and these two do a whole bunch of stuff together, kind of like a power couple thing, I suppose. Um, but he's a badass bartender, uh, really cool, excellent at fitness. I mean, this dude does handstands on the bar, takes pictures of them. I mean, it's really really cool, it's talented, That's crazy. But yeah, I, I, people like this inspire me. Yeah. Um, just overall cool and just really need to watch them do all these things. So that's probably my uh, my combination dope follower right now. You know what? Those are some pretty dope follows. There's one more I, I want. I want oh, God. No, no, no. Go, 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 go. Do it. I love he it. He can't hear the music. I know. So I love it. Like... It's editable. We don't edit here. No. We, we go raw, baby. Raw. We go raw. There's also one. If anybody, this is a good one for the for the service industry. Um, I follow something called Move You. There's a M O V E U. Um, and letter U or U. Letter U. It's on Instagram, and it's a um, it's it's a husband and wife, but he is a, a doctor of chiropractic, and she's this uh, hot influencer chick. And um, but what he does is he's very educated in the way that he communicates um, kinesiology and stretching and movement. And it's yeah. really applicable to, to service industry because one problem that we have is when we finish the bar shifts, people generally don't stretch. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And the back is tight, yeah. the legs, the neck, all of it. Um, and, and this guy, I watch him almost every day and I learn a lot about stretching and movement to help alleviate uh, specifically back pain. That's awesome. I talked to a uh, kinesthesiologist years ago, uh, changed up the way I shake entirely because I was like, I was having back pains. My shoulders were killing me. My elbows were killing me. Um, and so just like even just placement in terms of like in front of me or over, all of that changed up everything. Wrong one. <laughs> oh, man. The Good Bottle Podcast. Brought to you by these two guys. Sorry, the music for the Good Bottle Podcast. <laughs> I just throw it off. It's orchestrated by the Moore Brothers and produced very awkwardly at the very end here by uh, these two guys. Before we go kill this bottle, I'm not going to kill this bottle today. Sorry, I've got a long no. day at work. Yeah. But uh, it was delicious. Uh, John, 
you fucking killed it, man. This is a uh, good job, brother. I like this it. This is this is good. I like you've it. Uh, you've taken Drew off of the uh, not not American. Uh, I would. I totally agree. Yeah, this is the uh, first time I've enjoyed a California. Yeah, hey, you did it, man. Way to go. Uh, before we go, kill these bottles. Uh, we ask that if you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave us a five star review. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram or on Facebook at the Good Bottle Podcast or on our personal accounts. Mine is D Garrison Six. Chris is Chris Sinclair. Randy, where can they find you? Randy J Tarlow. And you can find us. Uh, Want to drink our stuff? It's Liquid Alchemist. If you would like for us to cover a story, or you're working with a brand that wants to be featured, please email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, you can purchase the bottles that we drank, the Jano or any of the Liquid Alchemists here at uh, thegoodbottleshop.com. And until next time, hey, cheers, boys. Cheers. Thank you for having me on, fellas. Hey, Chris, I want to see you shake. Like Carlin shake? Oh, there it is. <laughs> a, a hippie, hippie shake.